Well, good morning. Good morning. It is good to be back. It's a long ways up here. The wind's blowing more here. I used to tell people all the time, you go, you go north of Stillwater, and the wind's stronger. Because there ain't nothing between you and the North Pole but a barbed wire fence. <laughs> At least down there we got some cedar trees, you know, yeah. something. Well, I have, uh, man, I've shared a lot of times up here. I've had a, a lot of messages that we've shared here. and I think I've even blown a duck call in this place once or twice. And I always have something unique that God puts on my heart, and I, I really love sharing the word. I travel and speak um, in multiple places. I work with a ministry out of Missouri that uh, we do a lot of work with wounded veterans. So we have a, a facility. We've got a lodge and a property uh, there in just north of Joplin, about an hour, and a um, beautiful place. And watching God change his lives, and in the process, he allows me to blend my passion for the outdoors with my passion for him. And so the messages that I come up with sometimes can get a little crazy, but, uh, <laughs> but we do have a lot of fun with it. And God's changing hearts. Is that not what it's all about? Amen. Well, I'm going to share a message with you today uh, that God put on my heart. I, I didn't expect to share it here. Um, I, I, have, I do a daily podcast, so I put out a daily message uh, from my house. And, and then I, of course, record and travel. This one's being recorded today. It'll go out on the podcast this afternoon, but... Um, so it's, it's a constant, I mean, I'm constantly studying the word. I'm constantly getting in front of God and I'm letting him pour into me. And, and, and I've told people sometimes, I said, I can see a leaf blow across the ground and put, bring a message out of it if, if I need to. So, which I'm thankful for. I'm thankful for how God pours into me, but I want to share a message with you today called give and ye shall get. That sound familiar? <laughs> give and ye shall get. Now, I was having a messaging conversation with a lady that's become a very dear friend to my wife and I. Um, actually, Rhonda's known her for many, many years, where I've just kind of begun to get to know this lady. Anyways, our conversation, we're on Facebook Messenger doing these conversations back and forth, but our discussion revolved around being blessed and blessing others. I made a comment that sparked my curiosity on a particular verse that I quote quite often. I was thanking her for Ronda and I with some canning jars. We, we got into the gardening thing. We loved the gardening thing. And last year I had cucumbers, little pickle cucumbers growing out my ears. I made more pickles. I had more fun. I've never done it before. I watched my mama can before, but I've never done it. So we have had a ball. I've made salsa. I've canned tomatoes. I've done all kinds of things this year. Anything I get my hands on, I'll can it. You know, so it's just been fun. But I've had to go buy all my jars. I don't have any jars. So that gets expensive. You know? it's like, I'm like, we got to can this. And I'm telling my wife, well, we got to go buy some more jars. She goes, oh, Lord, more jars. So I've run Walmart out of jars a couple of times, just trying to keep up with what I'm trying to do. And I did learn jelly making, that's a process. I'm not sure I like it yet. Because I've made a lot of syrup. I've only made a few little batches that actually turned into jelly. So we, we got into the sand plums. We got into, oh, the, the, the um, red buds. You ever done red bud jelly? It's awesome. The little pink flowers that come out on red bud trees, you can make jelly out of that. Put enough sugar in it, you can make jelly out of anything, I think. But anyway, but I said this phrase to our friend Ruth. Well, blessings always create more blessings. I mean, it makes sense to me. 
when, when we bless others, it seems like God just immediately blesses us back. I could bore you with story after story of being led to do something specific, led to give something specific to somebody, and before the end of the week, have it returned to me in very unique ways. So I know that, that when, we, when we follow God's heart, when he puts something on our heart and we follow it, blessing always creates more blessing. And then I followed that with a scripture out of Luke chapter 6. It's verse 38, which kind of wound up getting me studying out its origin. And one thing my wife, um, my wife and I have only been married for uh, six years. And she was married to a pastor, my childhood friend, <laughs> whole other story, for 30-some years as they pastored. So he passed away some time back, and her and I connected and had never actually met her before. Now we're married. Well, anyway, she's a pastor's wife. Pretty unique following a guy like me around. So she taught me some things, though. She taught me to always look for the context of Scripture, always to look for the origins. What, who was speaking? Who, who's the author of a passage of Scripture? And not only who's the author, who's his audience? Who's he speaking to? And then what's the context? Why is he speaking what he's speaking? So in, because of that, she's caused me a lot of study time because now I have to go look everything up. I've got to go dig it out. So, but it's helped me learn a lot about audience and context. Well, I learned that one of the most misunderstood and misapplied verses in Scripture is found in Luke's account of Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount. Luke adds an additional comment that Matthew omits in his account so you very likely have heard this verse misquoted quite often. Give, and it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. We've heard that, right? Give, and it will be given back to you. Well, now, the problem is it seems that most often this verse is quoted in reference to one topic. Giving money to the church or giving money to God. It seems like we always tie it to money. So I'm not... I mean, if we were in a church that I might be more familiar with, I'd tell you to ring your wallets out and hold them up in the air, and Esther's will be by in a minute to pick them up. We'll take up an offering. I won't do that today. <laughs> but could it be that this verse has nothing to do with either one of those, of giving money to the church or giving money to God? Although that's how it's used and most familiar to all of us in that passage. To correctly understand what Jesus is saying in this verse we're going to have to return to its full context. And it begins in Luke chapter 6, verse 27. And it says this, and I like the Amplified Version because the Amplified Version kind of expounds on the passage. So it really opens it up. So starting with verse 27 to Luke 6. But I say to you, hear me and pay attention to my words. Love that is unselfishly seek the best or a higher good for your enemies. What? Love, that is, unselfishly seek the best or higher good for our enemies. Make a practice to do good to those who hate you. Bless and show kindness to those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Whoever strikes you on the cheek, offer him the other one also. Simply ignore insignificant insults or losses and do not bother to retaliate, maintaining your dignity. Verse 30 goes on to say, Whoever takes away your coat, do not withhold your shirt from him either. Give to everyone who asks of you. Whoever takes away what is yours, do not demand it back. 
Treat others the same way you want them to treat you. If you only love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who to do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend money to those from whom you expect to receive it back, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to receive back the same amount. Verse 35, but love, that is, unselfishly seek the best or higher good for your enemies. And do good and lend expecting nothing in return. For your reward will be great, rich, abundant. And you will be sons of the Most High. Because he himself is kind and gracious and good to the ungrateful and to the wicked. Be merciful, responsive, compassionate, tender. Just as your Heavenly Father is merciful. Do not judge others self-righteously, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn others with hypocrisy. Pardon others when they truly repent and change, and you will be pardoned when you truly repent and change. Verse 38, give and it will be given to you. They over with no space left for more. With, for with the same standard of measurement you use, when you do good to others, it will be measured back to you in return. I have misquoted the scripture a pile. We have a ministry. I travel. I speak. I don't have a congregation, so I don't take up an offering. <laughs> I rely on support to support our ministry efforts. Most of that support comes from me working somewhere to provide money for the ministry because I don't have a lot of support. I do have, I do have some, and I'm very thankful for it. And we don't do a lot, but what we do with that ministry is providing things for other people. We even support other ministries. I don't make a living from it. I wouldn't be much of a living. I, I, I just simply use that ministry to help other ministers or to help things in ministry. And in doing so, I've misquoted this a lot because I've always used it about money. In the same measure what you give, God will give back to you. Pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Well, it's a true statement. It's just not inclusive to money. It's inclusive to everything we give. Our time, our talents, throwing beanbags. <laughs> Whatever it is that we're doing, as we give freely to others. I've, I've told a story a time or two. I'd been working in Enid. I was driving back to, to uh, Perkins it was late. We'd been there since 7 a.m. I do hail damage repair on cars. So we'd been in the body shop. We'd been working all day. And I'd been talking with my boss. My boss goes to Nazarene Church in, in Edmond. And, man, great guy. I mean, just we had a great conversation all day. And his, his, his theory was his pastor had challenged him to share Jesus with someone. His deacon board I wanna, I'm going to come back next week, and we're going to talk about how many people you shared Jesus with this last week. In our congregation, how many people did you share Jesus with this past month? Well, that's a pretty cool question. So we've had this conversation all day. I'm driving home. I'm tired. It's dark. I'm out on 51 Highway in the middle of nowhere, running down the road. I'm, I'm driving an 04 Dodge, Cummins Turbo Diesel, big 04-wheel drive truck, and I got her eared back. I'm going home top of a hill and there's some flashing lights over here blinker lights flashing emergency hazards well i shot past him at 70 
and there's a Dodge truck sitting over on the gate going into a field. And that all that conversation struck me. I wasn't stopping. I was going home. I was tired. All that conversation hit me. So I stopped. I turned around and drove back. Young kid, <laughs> same year model truck, flat tire. He has a spare. He's, he's got his truck jacked up. He's got the old one loose, ready to come off. But he doesn't have the tool to take his spare down out from underneath his truck. Guess what I have? The tool to take his spare down out of the truck. So we rolled his spare down, and, and he's wearing a Christian T-shirt. I thought this was a really funny part of the story. He's wearing a Christian T-shirt. I don't remember what it said, but it was obviously a Christian T-shirt. And so I, you know, oh, I see you're a Christian. He's like, oh, uh, no, I got this at the thrift store. Oh. <laughs> he goes, yeah, I, said, I don't know about that church thing. So we wound up in a conversation about his life and about his future. And I wound up giving him a connection to a church of a pastor that I knew in Enid. That kid messaged me back. I've got a, a card in the mail from him thanking me for stopping to help him get his tire changed. And he had connected with my pastor friend, and he was now going to church. I know where he is today. doesn't matter to me. I, I don't put notches in my Bible for, for people that I've brought to the Lord, you know. But it's that giving without thinking. It's just giving without an expectation. That's what this scripture is really talking about, is to give without an expectation. Now, we've taken it and we've put an expectation on it. If you give, well, in the same measure you give, God's going to give it back to you. Press down, shaking together and running over. Well, we like that part. I need the running over part. Well, not necessarily running over, but the abundance. Here Jesus is calling his followers to live a radical, counterculture lifestyle that is of the way of the world. It's opposite of the way of the world in the lives and the way we treat people. He outlines for us three radical behaviors that form the foundation of his revolutionary kingdom lifestyle. As you might expect, Jesus routinely models all three of these during his life and ministry here on earth. It's worth noting that he repeats each of these behaviors three times in his sermon and drive his point home even further. The verse of this passage in six, uh, chapter 6, verse 27 through 38, have been grouped by specific behavior that you can see both, both his repetition and entirety of his comments and his behavior. Number one, give love. Give love. In verse 27, the second part of it says, Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. And most of us will tune that out right quick. What do you mean? Give to my enemies. And love them people that hate me. That doesn't make any sense in our human rationale. Secondly, in verse 32, it says, if, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? If all you do is love those people that love you back, you're not really making any difference. You're not having an impact. Verse 35, thirdly, he says, but love your enemies and do good to them. Be merciful just as your father's merciful. Don't judge and you'll not be judged. See, all that same measure stuff comes at judgment, too. <laughs> in the same measure in which we judge, we're going to be judged back. Keep that in mind the next time you want to judge somebody's behavior. Maybe rather than judge them, maybe we ought to pray for them. When we love like Jesus, we'll love and do good even to those who hate us. 
We will always show mercy to those who oppose us, just as God's love compelled him to show mercy on us when we opposed him. And this Christ-like love never judges harshly or unfairly, but it always gives to the other person the benefit of the doubt. If Jesus lived today, if he was here with us today, he might tell us, cut him some slack. You ever heard that term? (laughs) Well, cut him some slack. I think my wife has said that to me about my children a couple of times. Well, cut them some slack, you know. They know better. (laughs) You see, the world of unbelievers, people will love those who love them. But Jesus is calling us to an extreme reversal of the ways of the world. He's calling us to love even those who hate us, to be radically counterculture in how we live and treat the people that will occupy this planet with us. Give blessing. Now, you ever heard the scripture, you know, pray for your enemies, it's like heaping coals of fire on their head? Anybody, anybody familiar with that? It's a proverb. I love that scripture. But again, it's one I misunderstood quite regularly. Because in my mind, I'm thinking, yeah, Lord, burn them suckers down. <laughs> them people that stand against me, them people that badmouth me, them people that don't like me, have done me wrong, put the coals on them, Lord. Burn them. Well, another context thing. It's not really what that means. Proverbs chapter 25, verse 21 through 22. If your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. If he's thirsty, give him water to drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire upon his head, and the Lord will reward you. This expression, when you study this out, possibly comes from an Egyptian um, tradition. It was a custom in, in where a, a penitent man, a, a repentant person, actually carried a pan of coals around on their head to show their repentance, their sorrow for what they'd done wrong. Doesn't sound like a great idea to me, but the message is an admonition to return good for evil. If someone does you wrong, do something good for them. Again, it goes against our nature because our human nature is a sin nature. We've got to get into our spirit nature in order to pull this off. The hope of this is that your enemy will be moved to truly repentant hearts. In other words, rather than praying that God just burn them down, how about we start praying for their soul? How about we start praying that somebody crosses their path and leads them to Jesus. It changes our heart. It might not ever change theirs, but it will change ours. And when we can offload that, that, that meanness in us, we're going to become better people. We're going to become people that God can use in a more frequent manner. Give blessing. Verse 28 says, bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Verse 33 says, And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that? Even sinners do that. Verse 37b, Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Jesus then gives us another radical countercultural behavior. Not only do we love those who hate us, he's calling us to actually bless even our fiercest enemies, to do good to them, to do good for them. He adds that we're even to pray for them. You'll find it quite impossible to regularly pray blessings on your enemies and continue to be hostile towards them. 
it's kind of hard to argue when you're on your knees praying. It's kind of hard to be mean when you're praying to the Lord to bless somebody, even if you don't like them, even if they don't like you. It will change things, I guarantee you. Because what it does is it, it, that heaping coals of fire on them makes them so uncomfortable. If you listen to my podcast much, you would hear some endings to lot many times when I'm in a congregational message, even with those veterans, telling them, you know, <laughs> what my prayer is over you today is that if you don't know Jesus Christ, if you don't respond to him today, my prayer over you is you become the most miserable person on this earth until you do. It's the truth. I don't want you comfortable in your sin. I want you to find your way to Jesus. I want you to find your way to your future. I want you to find your way to your, your inheritance and to your destiny. Jesus is telling us that we're not to condemn them, which is actually what our natural man will do to those who would curse and mistreat him. The world will seek revenge. Jesus calling us to seek blessings over our enemies. It's a radical version. Give release. If someone slaps you on the cheek, turn to them and turn to them to the other cheek also. That's hard to do. Someone slaps me on the cheek and they're liable to have to look up from the floor. That's my natural movement, right? But think about this for a minute. What would it do if someone's so angry enough at us that they want to strike us? What will it do to them if we stand there and give them the other cheek? It's going to mess with them. I, I've get, I get in these, I don't like to argue, and I'm, I'm a social media butterfly, so I'm all over social media. But, and because of the things I post, being mostly spiritual things, scriptural things, I have a lot of arguments. I've got some friends I grew up with that call themselves atheists. I won't argue spiritual things or politics. Because you're not going to win either one. Everyone's got an opinion. But what I do is I quote scripture. I didn't write it. You can tell me you don't like it all you want to. I didn't write it. It's just I believe it. So, so eventually that truth wins out. They get tired of arguing with me. Because I can keep putting scripture up there. I can keep telling them Jesus loves you. No matter how you hate me, he still loves you. You know, it doesn't change anything. If someone asks for your coat, don't withhold your shirt from them either. Give to everyone who asks. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, don't demand it back. That's hard to do. If someone takes something from me, I'm probably going to hunt them down. I want it back. If I had it, it means I wanted it. I don't want you to have it. I want it. Hard to do when you think about this in Scripture. Jesus is simply asking us, someone takes from you, I don't have it. It's not going to be a blessing to them. It's going to be a cursing to them, especially if we begin to pray that God deals with their heart. Not me. It's not going to do any good for me to go after them. It's just going to be a fight. If you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. I get, because we're ministry, and I'm sure it's the church as well, you often get ask for donations ask for money someone's in need we have a lot of need in this country today all of us have needs at different times in our lives i get people asking me all the time and 
I'll, oftentimes it'll be, man, if you, just, if, you, if you could just help me for this week, you know, I get paid on Thursday, I'll, I'll, I'll pay you back. I have never given a dime to anyone that I expected them to pay me back. Because if I expect them to pay me back and they don't, what's going to happen? I'm going to get angry. I'm going to get mad. If I give it to them, even though they're saying, hey, I'm going to pay you back, and I say, that, that's fine, I ain't worried about it, and I truly am not worried about it, if they pay me back, it goes back in the coffer to give it to somebody else. If they don't, I'm not worried about it. God will deal with that, and he'll deal with me. Blessings always create blessings. As you give with an open heart, with his heart, he'll give back to you. Press down, shaking together, and running over. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. If you have heard the phrase, beg, borrow, and steal, here Jesus is telling us how to respond to people who beg, borrow, and steal from us. If they beg, give to everyone who asks you, with no consideration of their worthiness. If they borrow, lend it to them without expecting to get anything back. And if they steal, if anyone takes what belongs to you, don't, don't demand it back. This is, this, is not a, <laughs> this is not a natural way of our thinking. This goes against every grain of our natural man. In Jesus' counterculture lifestyle, there is no recovery of any kind ever sought for any action anyone might take to extract anything from us. He didn't require anything of us, yet he went to a cross, lived out a brutal time to die on a cross for us without any expectation. He left us with a choice. No retaliation. No restitution. It is complete and unconditional release to everyone. Forgive, as some transitions say, pardon everyone all the time for everything. We lay no claim against anyone or claim anything. In Jesus' countercultural lifestyle, all are released. We would all agree that in order for us to start consistently living like this on the outside... Something equally radical is going to have to happen on the inside of us. Complete surrender. We, we can't hold on to our human nature in this because it won't work. We're going to have to change the way we think if we're going to change the way we live. Fortunately, Jesus did not, did not leave us on our own to figure out what needs to change internally. Right in the midst of his teaching, he tells us, how to change our thinking so we can successfully change our living. Jesus gives us a standard for our radical countercultural behavior in verse 31. Do to others as you would have them do to you. It's a golden rule. Do unto others the way you want them to do to you. Treat others the way you want to be treated. As fallen creatures, three things are quite common in our lives. And Jesus gives us this standard or this radical behavior. One, that we love ourselves more than we love anyone else. Is that not true? I mean, I mean, as fallen creatures, as creatures of sin, we have a sin nature. We love ourselves more than we love anyone else. Me first. And you look around this society today, whew, that, that's a rampant behavior. Selfishness, self-centeredness, entitlement. You ever dealt with someone that in your mind you're thinking, I think they think that I owe them something. 
It's a common, it's a common animal that we deal with today. Secondly, as fallen creatures, we're most interested in what blesses us. Thirdly, we're, we're the first to extend ourselves the benefit of the doubt when we make a mistake or we behave badly. Well, you know, anyone would have done that. Anyone would have said that. So we're naturally inclined to behave the way Jesus is teaching us. The problem is that we aren't all that willing to behave toward others the same way we are more than willing to behave towards ourselves. It's a whole lot easier to behave towards us the way we think is right. Very, very much more difficult to behave towards others the way Jesus is telling us we should. Jesus gives us the standard for how we're to treat others, the way you like to be treated yourself. We certainly know how we want to be treated. Now all we have to do is extend the same treatment that we want to those around us. This golden rule is really a very radical lifestyle. Jesus gives us the extent of our radical countercultural behavior in 38, in the, in the last part of verse 38. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Again, it's beyond money. It's beyond just loaning somebody something. It's an entire lifestyle. And the measure in which you use to give any part of you, that's what's going to be measured back to you. Jesus then expands this radical treat others as you want to be treated, kingdom behavior, even further by telling us the more unconditionally we love, the more extremely we bless, and the more absolute our release to others, the same will come back to us in direct proportion. Abundant love, abundant blessing, and abundant release. The more extreme the measure of these behaviors we dispense to others, the more extreme the measure that we will receive back. Here's what it takes or makes this statement so incredible. Jesus is telling us that we are the ones who set the bar of abundance that will be applied to us. We set the bar. All we got to do is follow his rule, but we set the bar. It's not up to him. It's up to us. Jesus gives us the result of our radical countercultural behavior in verse 35 when it says, then your reward will be great. Might not see it here. You need to understand that. You can be the most givingest person in the world, and you might not see your blessing here. Is it what it's about? What's an earthly blessing going to do for us? Sustain us a little longer? That's, I, I, I'm, I'm, I just turned 60 last month. I couldn't believe it. Like, 60? Holy cow. I mean, you know, we get to 50, and we're thinking, yep, it's all downhill from here. Boy, they ain't kidding you're rolling fast, I guarantee you, and stuff starts falling off quicker. I've got more problems than I've ever had in my life. Of course, part of it probably comes from my younger days. But I had just, I was telling Karen, I got to have back surgery in December, and I put it off to December because I need to get through deer season. But uh, <laughs> I know. They, um, but but, but the lady that did my MRI and x rays and things in my back, and I've had problems for. 15 years just gets to the point now where I can't hardly handle it so and they kept saying have you had a wreck have you fallen I'm like uh you mean like from a horse or I mean I've been bucked off horses I've been rolled on by horses I've been hit by trucks which part you want to talk about I mean is that what's causing my problem it's just years of abuse is what's causing my problems 
And my knees are wore out, my back's wore out, and I'm thinking, I do not want to delay my time here on earth any longer. <laughs> you know? I mean, everybody's talking about pray for peace in Israel, and I'm thinking, yes, I know we need peace, but all that's got to happen before Jesus comes back. So, Lord, let her roll. I'm ready to go. Are y'all ready to go? I mean, we're living in the craziest world we've ever seen. We're, we're seeing stuff that is unimaginable. I, I, I get sick to my stomach thinking about what my grandchildren have to deal with in this world. I, I, can't, I just can't fathom how much worse it can get, and yet it just keeps getting worse. It just keeps getting worse. But there's one thing that comes to mind in all of that. You ever notice a building at night that's, that's like if this building, if it was dark outside and somebody were to come up on this building and the lights were on in here, what would they see? Would they see light going out into the darkness? You ever notice that about a building at night? Even at your house. When you turn on the lights, light goes out your windows. You notice that darkness never comes in? When, when the light comes on, darkness has to flee. It, it can't stay. Did, did you realize that scientifically, darkness doesn't even exist? They say that about cold, too. <laughs> It, it, scientifically, it doesn't exist. Cold doesn't exist. Darkness doesn't exist. Why? Because darkness is simply the absence of light. Cold is the absence of heat. If we shine our light, darkness must flee. You turn on a light, it's got to go. It can't encroach on light. It's not, it's not scientifically possible. I think it's something we need to really grasp, that when our light is shining, darkness can't touch us. When the blood of Jesus is applied to us, when we've surrendered to him, when we've given our lives to him, our enemy can't cross that bloodline. He can't touch us. The Bible says he goes around like a roaring lion. I've got a whole sermon about that. Lion chasers. <laughs> but he says he goes about as. He's not a roaring lion. He's nothing. He's a poser. He can't touch you. All he can do is growl. All he can do is be loud. All I can do is try to scare you to make you make a mistake. He can't make you make a mistake. That was free, by the way. I'm not in my notes. <laughs> oh, boy. Give and it shall be given to you. They will pour into your lap, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Now, in the amplified version of this verse, it says, Give love, blessing, and release to others and it will be given to you. They love blessing and release. Will then pour into your lap, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. To whom are we to be doing this giving? To those who hate us, to those who mistreat us, to those who slap us on the cheek, to those who borrow from us and never repay, and to those who steal from us. Those are who we are to bless. Whew, complete opposite of where we want to be in this life. Jesus summarized this radical countercultural lifestyle in one short verse in, this, in the ministry of John chapter 10, verse 10. It says, when he says, I came that they might have life and have it more abundantly. Jesus came so that we might have life and have it more abundantly. But he left us with a choice. We have to choose that lifestyle.
Jesus is calling us to experience the abundant life of living a radical countercultural lifestyle that emulates who he is and how he lived when he had his turn to live here on earth. Disciples were followers of Jesus. The word disciple simply means follower. So his disciples were followers of Jesus Christ. That's what he's calling us to be. So when you follow someone, what does that require? We've got to be behind them, and we've got to be walking the way they walk. We've got to be going the way they go. We've got to be on the same path. We need the same thought patterns. When, I, when I've, I've been on staff ministry in years past, been youth pastor several times, different pastors, the one thing I learned early in my ministry is I want to emulate whatever my pastor is doing. I want to do what he's doing. He's the boss. Youth pastors hired, hired hands, but he's the boss. So everything that I do, I want to emulate my leader because I, I want to do the things that he would have me to do. If I make a decision, I want to make that decision the way I think my leader would make that decision. Because if I, if I mess up or if something blows up, I can go, man, I, this is what I did. This is how I did it because I thought that's how you would do this. I thought that's how you would handle this. And, and usually it was, it was a good thing. It kind of helped me from getting run over a time or two. But that's what we need to do with Jesus. Are we going to be Jesus' followers? Then we need to follow him and walk the way he walked. Now, that, that's putting some things up, right? I mean, look at what Jesus did. Go back and study Jesus' life on this earth. Can we follow him that closely? Can we make the same decisions he did? He was ridiculed. He was mocked. He was spit on. Never retaliated. And he kicked over some money tables a time or two. And he showed some righteous anger. You know, it's, it's not that we've got to be kicked around like a can, but we've got to use the judgment that Jesus would use in our love of others. How radical and countercultural are you prepared for your lifestyle to become? I heard a youth pastor tell his youth group they were going in to do some uh, missions work, and they were actually going to be handing out tracts and things in a, in a teen club. The non-alcoholic, but it was, a, it was a club. They were playing club-style music. These kids were unsaved, and they were going in to, to invite them to become Christians. They were handing out tracts. They were talking about Jesus. And that youth pastor told his, his kids, because I'm thinking, that's a tough place. I mean, that's, that's hard to do. It's hard for us to do as adults. You'll hand out tracts or talk to somebody about Jesus half the time. But he, this is what he told them. He said, listen, guys. We're likely going to get thrown out of here tonight. But we're going to do the best we can until they kick us out. It radicalized those teenagers. Man, we're going to get kicked out. I mean, you think about that with a bunch of kids. They're going to think that's cool. We got thrown out of a bar last night. You know? Why? Well, we're sharing Jesus. What a radical thought. When's the last time any of us made that type of radical move. Mm. Jesus said, follow me. What do you think that meant? That'll be your homework till next time I'll come back. What do you think that means? When Jesus says, follow me, he is, he is calling us to a radical lifestyle of living 
according to his way, his word, his life. Are you up for it? Probably going to get kicked out of a few places. <laughs> but what's it worth? If we, can, if we can show love to even someone who hates us, if we can be kind to those who don't like us, if we can extend a hand of grace to someone who probably isn't going to appreciate it, but we can give them whatever they need, even if they're begrudging, what difference would that make in us? Think about that for a while. Just bow your heads with me if you would. Father, today as we close, I just I want to thank you for your word. I want to thank you for your challenge. Lord, we all want to get when we give. But the better thing will be to give without an expectation. You did. You gave your life for us on a cross. What a radical move. Today, God, as you challenge us to follow you in a radical behavior, in a radical way of life, I ask you to deal with our hearts today. Father, if there's someone in this place today that's, that's questioning whether they want to serve you or not, whether they want to follow you or not, God, today I ask you to deal with their heart. Show them your love, how much you love them. God, you loved them enough to stretch your arms out on a cross, give your life for them, that they might have a life eternal if they choose it. Teach us to be followers, Father, in every aspect of our life. I want to just invite anyone here today who's not serving the Lord. If, if you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, I, I don't want you to leave here the way you came. I want you to leave here different. I want you to leave here knowing that, that you've given your life to the Lord. You've surrendered your life to God. And then we're going to pray that you put people around you that help you, disciple you, to raise you up the way you should be. If you're in this place today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ and you want me to pray with you today, I, I just want you to, to slip up your hand, maybe make your way up here to the front. I just want to pray with you. I, I'm not going to embarrass you in any way. You're among family here today. So. For the rest of us here today, I want to challenge you to be who God's called you to be, who he's created you to be from the very beginning of time. Jeremiah chapter 1 says he knew you before he ever formed you in your mother's womb and he sets you apart to be a voice to the nations. That's our calling today. This nation needs his voice desperately. Do everything you can to be a follower of Christ, sharing his love, his mercy, and his grace every way you can. Amen. Father, we thank you today. Just bless these people as they go on their way. Bless this ministry, this church. God, that it continue to be a light shining in a dark place. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.